years ago, when I first first called to Calgary at Thornhill Baptist Church as associate pastor, I ended up being more so the youth pastor at that time. And uh, we had the opportunity to have a lot of unchurched kids. I did a lot of events trying to draw the unchurched into the church. And uh, on the nights that we did Bible studies, that was always intriguing. I would do something just a little bit different, trying to find these creative ways in which to get these kids into the Word of God. And so I would take a very familiar verse that maybe some of them have heard, but most Christians have. I would write it on a chalkboard, and I said, we're going to do something today called rewrite this verse. We're going to write our own translation of this verse. As we understand what we think that the original author was trying to say, what he had in mind. And I find the process was fascinating as so many of these youth would begin to delve into word by word. Well, what do you think he meant by that? Now, was it always historically accurate or maybe theologically correct? Eh, Maybe not so much from some of the suggestions, but we were in the scriptures and we were headed in that direction. And I still remember the one session as I'm writing this and my eyes came up across someone in the very back road, one of my more mature Christian leaders, very, a youth person, by the way, very well-versed in Scripture and faithful to church all these years. But he would sit in the back with this disgruntled look on him, kind of like some of the services I've preached at when, you know, over time. You know, people just have that look and you kind of just bypass them so you don't feel all upset. Uh, and and at, at the end of it, he would come up to me and he, he was frustrated. He was a little upset because some of the perspectives that were being offered by these kids that he thought were so wrong. In fact, they were borderline heresy, uh, definitely immature and misguided at the least. But I kind of had to explain to him. I said, you're losing sight of what we're trying to do here. I have kids here that have never cracked open the word of God. And they've never been to church, and they've maybe maybe never even considered the existence of God, and now we're going to challenge them. And I said, you know, you got to be a little, yeah, there's going to be some weird thinking here, but they have no concept, no background, they don't understand context and all these other things. Well, I thought for this morning when Matt got stuck at camp again and asked me, I said, you know what, let's, let's kind of do the same thing with a very familiar verse. And boy, we don't have enough time. When I started doing this, I was going, oh, this, this is great, but we we're going to do uh, Cole's version of it. So we're going to Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. It's a verse that many of us know. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Now, Pastor Matt talked on trust last week. He had I love the quote when he said, What we worry about the most is often where we trust God the least. And we heard that, you know, we can look at the faithfulness of God in the past and in the present, and that gives us hope for the future, and those are good things. Well, the verse that God led me to starts off with trust. So we read, trust in... Okay, this is where I'd frustrate the kids. They say, let's just stop there. Let's not go any further. Let's stop there and look at trust. Trust in. So what is trust? What does it look like? How would you define trust? So I thought, well, let's start with the definition of trust. You go into Google, you look it up, and, you know, common one was a firm belief in the reliability, truth, ability, or strength of someone or something. That is trust. 
you know, on Friday, my wife had her surgery and she's doing well, slowly recovering. I wouldn't say doing well. She's doing as well as she could be. But we were in the surgery Friday and the anesthesiologist came in and, and, uh, it's just, we're the first operating operation of the day and I'm, I'm watching this anesthesiologist I'm always intrigued by medical things and and she's struggling with the IV and there's you no know, blood coming out oh, I do this again and she's going in and does does it the second time and as she's standing up her shoelace is untied and it's a long shoelace and I'm watching and my head's you know racing and I'm nervous I'm going I wonder if I should tell her I don't want her to trip fall and not be able to do the surgery you know I'm thinking about this thing and and then she gets blood on the band-aid roll and and gives it the nurse nurse says well there's blood on that so oh well she shoots to the basket and the garbage and she misses and I go you know but what she said is what was interesting she then turns around and says boy I'm not on my game today <laughs> uh, I just my wife kind of does the And, you know, I'm, I'm up for forgiveness, but I, I just, I, inside I'm going, please, please be on your game. Please be on your game. Uh, so again, shaky, uh, firm belief and reliability at that moment, not so much ability of someone. Yeah, you know, I'm not, you know, everyone has their off days. This wasn't the day to have it. Uh, you know, the classic example that we use of trust is every one of you came in here, you sat down, you didn't question the chair holding you, right? You sat, you put your entire weight down, and you said, no problem, not a second thought. Now, if ever in your past you have ever had a chair collapse on you, you might have that lingering thought that, hmm, just make sure, you know, it happened. And if it was a very traumatic fall on a chair that collapsed, you ended up in the hospital, you'd almost guaranteed be thinking about every chair you sat on. No different than me growing up. End of winter, I'm out on the Red River with a friend, stupidity of all stupidity. I fall through the ice. I have to confess to my mom when I come home why I'm soaking wet. Boy, did I get it. Uh, but here I am 45 years later, and every time I walk on ice, guess what? I'm always second-guessing. And when they drive on it, when you go ice fishing and you hear that crack and the hollow sound goes out, I still start sweating. Okay, so the obvious train of thought here is that if trust has ever been broken, okay, or weakened for some reason or another, questioned, you know, we see it in marriages, friendships, work, co-workers, those type of things. What's that saying? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. I've learned. Have you ever been bitten by a dog? You understand mistrust. So then we understand, well, this is trust. It depends on who we trust the person or the object that we trust in, will that give us the confidence or not? So the verse continues. Trust in the Lord. Now here's the deal. Like a lot of youth Bible studies that I did in the back, what I would often do there as well is to get an understanding of, well, what do you really believe of the Lord, God? What is your perspective on it? Because he's asking trust in Him. And so often I'd go to these youth and say, tell you what, if God revealed himself, and we know Moses said, yeah, he, God passed by, saw the back of the head, but not really revealed. But if God gave you a view of himself, what do you think he would look like? What comes to your mind? Because that perspective often taught me so much about what that person feels about God. So was he like a Santa, a Santa giver of gifts? Was he 
envision as an angry old person like many of the people in the care homes that I work in. Was he a soft-spoken, happy grandpa? Was he just a spiritual entity, a mysterious, vague, but not personal God? Was he like Zeus, all-powerful, but very selfish? Well, the morning I started working on this message, I read an article from the Calgary Sun of a preacher in New York City who was robbed during the service. And he was streaming that service, like I'll be doing at Renfrew. And in that service, this guy robbed the preacher and his wife of $1 million worth of jewelry that they were wearing at the time. I have no jewelry. Don't even think about it. But what was revealing about this, and it came right when I started working on this whole idea, was the perspective that I started to imagine what this person felt about God, how he viewed God, because then I read an Instagram that he posted, because I think there was a lot of people that said they're questioning the bling-bling, you know, in a service like that, or any time, and he said this, he's going to live his life the way God has set it up for him. It's not about me being flashy, it's about me purchasing what I want to purchase, and it's my prerogative to purchase what I want to purchase. I said, okay, fair enough. He had a particular view of God and finances that obviously influenced the decisions. But you know what? We all do. We all have certain perspectives of God based on our past, based on what we've been taught, based on what we have experienced. If you think that God has to continually bless you in all things, then tragedies in life will be viewed differently. You see, your beliefs concerning God have this incredible impact on our ability to either trust God or not trust Him. And that's why even the presence of evil in our world has caused countless people to struggle with the belief of a loving God, a sovereign God, because there are atrocities and evil and hatred And sometimes your own painful experiences will contribute and warp that perspective. Back in 1946, Charles Templeton, maybe many of you knew, he was a co-worker with Billy Graham. He was the one predicted, by the way, to become the next great evangelist. He was the one that everyone thought he was going to overturn the world with the gospel. But Templeton had a lot of doubts about God's trustworthiness. He wondered how a loving God could allow such violence in the world. They just walked through two world wars and the horrors of that. And he couldn't reconcile a sovereign loving God and that. And Templeton's not alone. Many question God's strength in light of evil or in light of unanswered prayers. Many have this perceived unreliability image of God. You know, can God create a rock so big that he cannot lift? We start pondering and throwing these things out. Now, as we walk through these type of things, you need to be challenged, as, by the way, Billy Graham was challenged, who also struggled with evil, but he took a different strategy. 
In his autobiography, Just As I Am, Graham tells how he took stacks of books on both sides of the topic. And unlike his co-worker, he turned to scriptures and he began to pour over passages. And he says in his book that relentlessly he would dig and dig and he would find these verses that say, well, the Lord says, or hear the word of the Lord. And he was thinking, well, if the Bible was written by just mere men, if it was only man-made, hundreds of years after the fact how could anyone arrogantly claim to know and speak in the name of God and so one night as he's lingering through this he goes to this quiet place as he's wrestling with God he weighs this matter over over in his head and he finally comes to the conclusion he studied the books he's read the Bible and he goes there's no clear answer (laughs) there's no clear answer the only answer was this he would accept God at his word in faith Graham relates that a great sense of peace came over him. And with that renewed conviction, he continued his preparations at that time for the 1949 Los Angeles Evangelistic Crusade, which set him off, and the rest is history. He took a step of faith, which required what our verse requests as we continue to read it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. All your heart. See, now, here's where faith comes into play. It's an all-or-nothing request. If God is infinite, if God is beyond time and space, and He's coming from a perspective obviously beyond ours and our own circumstances, is it not feasible, as I have challenged many people over the years, that there's more at work here than just what's going on in our lives? That there's more at stake That every human being having his life go flawless on this side of the grave isn't really what God's concerned about. That even a broken heart, as scripture tells us often, can, it can still rely on God. That our circumstances in no way dictate the character of God. This morning, God reaffirmed that to me as I was reading the next text in my Bible application, Job 19.25. And this is what Job says. I'm sure maybe had some influence on him. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on earth. My Redeemer lives. Now we might think, wow, this must have been after Job lost all his children, everything he owned was disease-ridden, was ridiculed, was all that, and then we're told that he was faithful, and in the end, God blessed him even more. And so he probably sat and relished those moments and said, yeah, my Redeemer lives, look. Look where I am. No, no, no. See, I tell kids all the time, read the context of every verse we do too. Let's not just dissect this. Read what's going on around us to get a better indication as to what the author was getting at. And so this morning, I the verse was only this. And I said, well, what happened before this? And so I turned to the first 24 verses. Let me just quickly summarize for you the torturous experience. He was in the midst of this. He had just lost every single one of his children. He had lost everything he owned. He was ridiculed with disease and all those type of things. And so in the chapter 19, he begins with, How long will you torment me, God? Why don't you answer me? He talks about the darkness. He talks about how everyone, even children, have abandoned him. He's the ridicule of the town. 
Everyone was throwing their theology out about God because here was Job, this great man of faith. But look, see, look what's happening. He says, I'm loathsome to my family. He says, for the hand of God has struck me. And then right there, after 24 verses of good human venting, he says, I know that my Redeemer lives. That's his God. It wasn't based on his circumstances. In fact, many times in Scripture, you see a different mindset than sadly what North American Western culture typically does and correlates everything about us and reflect it on God. That's why King David in Psalms 27, 14 would say, Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take heart and wait. God isn't defined by our circumstances. If this life experience on earth was all that we ever had, if there was oblivion after this, nothing existed beyond this, then yes, I would say that's really sad that some people somehow get by with so much and us not. But this existence, we're scratching the surface. Just scratching the surface of eternity. And our Creator... Almighty God, King of kings, Lord of lords, sovereign, all-powerful, says, wait. Don't, don't run. Know me. Seek me and wait. Faith is divined as a belief with strong convictions, firm belief in someone or something. Doubt is the opposite. And sometimes, as we know, there's no tangible proof of that someone or something Complete confidence and trust is called for. If I perceive God simply as a genie in a bottle, and if I could just find that bottle and rub it and get my wishes, then I can understand the frustration. If you see God sometimes as we project our human relationships on Him, so our earthly fathers, and we see that with kids, and they view that father like their father, then I get your frustration. If God is simply viewed as an end to a means, my needs being those means, then I get your frustration. Take away free will. Take away choice. Request that God just make us robots that we don't know any better. A lot of confusion and doubt. If we choose to ignore Scripture and not really put an effort into understanding God, Like, I mean understanding and knowing him. What he has revealed to us about himself. And we will take stabs in the dark and have these weird concepts and ideas of what we think God is and who is and why he does what he does. But in the process, you are going to find your perception of God is going to warp and you're going to live in fear. You're going to be misguided. And that's why the verse says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not. Lean not on your own understanding. We're finite. We've been created. If God is who he claims to be, what right do I possess to somehow define him, especially based on my life? How accurate accurate do you think that definition would be? If we simply were a chance occurrence in the evolutionary process, that there was no thought that went into our existence, then again, I understand why you question faith or religion or God. So would I. If faith is simply something to fall back on when things get tough, 
and it's not the driving force of every aspect of our existence, guess what? I will live accordingly. You will think accordingly. You will react to everything in life accordingly. You will trust accordingly. You get what you put into it. That's why in Jeremiah 29.11 we read, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. That's when you will really find me. You will find me if you really diligently seek me. And because we are finite, we understand our knowledge is so limited, it is so handicapped. We, we all get a parking spot, by the way, when it comes to understanding God. Because our knowledge is tainted by our experiences, by our limitless understanding of God's Word or the time that we spend in it. We all come with baggage concerning faith in God and these past experiences and, and trying to deal with evil. And even that's why when we have those who even somehow claim to know God, but yet in the name of God, they, they commit these incredible atrocities. We understand how warped so many people view God and that's the problem. Our, sh- our past is shaping our thoughts. And sadly, our pasts and our experiences, they're just not a good reference point to understand God. My neighbor all the time that I have been working with for years trying to get him to understand God, you know, his life is good. He goes, he, and he always looks at mine, he goes, you know, so much always happens to you. I know what he's thinking. I know where he's going with that. Well, I wouldn't want your God. He seems a little hard. Right? That's a warped understanding. And that's why Scripture pleads like Billy Graham, search me out. Understand me. Know me. And in the process, as you get to know me, you will learn to trust me. We're called constantly, guard your hearts, guard your minds. Why? Because they're so easily influenced, especially by our own desires and what we assume God should be doing. And I don't want to fall harshly on that preacher that I just gave an early example of, but literally, I I read that passage, and the next day, one of my scripture verses was Hosea 2.13. Now, this is in context of Israel, by the way, but it still was interesting. He says, I will punish her, Israel, for the days she burned incense to the Baals, she decked herself with rings and jewelry, and went after her lovers, but me she forgot, declares the Lord. But me she forgot. Who is God? Who really is God? Is He Almighty? Is He Lord of Lords, Kings of Kings, and Sovereign? If so, we need to follow the next path, part of the verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. And in all your ways, submit to Him. Submission. Obedience. To the one who deserves it. In all your ways, Again, it's an all or nothing request here from God. You can't separate your life into compartments and somehow give God a few. Any part left out is going against this scripture. There is no separation of just God and state or God in these parts of our lives. There's no just Sunday morning God in all your ways. And then there's that word submission. We hate submission. That's why we often say, I have been beaten into submission. 
Submission is this concept that somehow I am weak. Somehow I have been defeated. Somehow I have been overpowered. And that's why so many people struggle with the concept of God as this entity, this powerful all-being that lords it over everyone else. It's why some people can't even envision heaven and worshiping God all day long. That's like, what is that? Who wants to stand in heaven and just worship God? That seems like a power trip. I've had people tell me that. We cannot get past this authority figure and even contemplate a loving God that is also just. Why submit? That's why, and I'm not going to get into this, and don't me read, read me wrong, it's why the verse, wives submit to your husbands, often rub many people the wrong way too. It's our limited understanding of the Word of God and what He is requesting. It's the context of that request and everything else. Why? Because we are tainted by our human limitations in our inability to view God above all others and our human frame of reference. And that's why Paul says, well, let me, let me try to explain this just a little bit more. And so we read in Ephesians, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. You know how many pastors, including me, I almost took this verse out. Because somehow I thought, well, people are going to think I'm trying to say, husbands rule. It's our limited understanding of what he's saying here. And we, people would say, well, that's just outdated. That's not relevant anymore. And we say that about God. And the true concept of submission to God. And if we fully grasp who we're submitting to, and what it means to submit in the love of Christ as he did. And what that entails. It would be way different than how we taintedly view this. And so we live in a brokenness and a confusion. And we fight submission, especially many people, to God. We walk in mistrust and suspicion because of our perception of God and faith. And we get angry and we get cynical. And we become apathetic to the things of God because I just don't understand God and all of the rest. And as in Hosea said, but me, God says, you forgot. You gave up seeking me. And that's why the verse says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Search out the scriptures. In all your ways, all of them, you have to submit to me. Don't just bring the big asks. Don't, just don't bring the crisis to me. Every decision you make, submit to me. And guess what, he says. I'll make your path straight. And if I had time, then I'd go in the world. What is straight? What does he mean by straight? Does that mean easygoing, less curves, no backtracking, no detours? See, God is saying, I'm going to be blessed with all that I want. Because he's going to make it straight if I trust him. Is that what he's saying? I'm guessing not. But that's a whole other thing. And again, the context of this verse and I end with this, with the four verses leading up to it. Before he read, trust in the Lord, we read, My son, do not forget my teaching. 
Keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. What I pull out of that, that's the process of seeking God. My teaching, my words. Don't just know the parts of me you want to know. Don't just know the parts of me that you're comfortable with. Know all of me. Understand me. And and I'm telling you, I could never in a million years give you an accurate description of God to satisfy everything that you're walking through. I can't. No one could do that for me. I had to dig into the Word of God and I had to cry and I had to be angry and I had all these aspects of what it is to be human, but I sought God. And like Billy Graham, I said, I I just, I got to know God because then I can rest in assurance of what's going on. And the more I do, I'm telling you, the more confidence I have that He is able, regardless of what we walk through. And you can trust Him firmly. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for the word of God, the truths. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for how you speak to us, encourage us. Thank you, Father, for even those moments we don't understand. Thank you, Father, that you are a father that disciplines even those you love. There's something we don't like to talk about. Thank you, Father, that there is no flaw in your character and who you are, and we can trust it firmly. And I thank you, Father, that you've made it possible for us to know this without a doubt. And it's not that we never fall back and have our moments. But our confidence relies on what you have revealed. And because of that, I can trust you 100% in all that happens, especially in hope. I pray for everyone here who may be walking through difficult times. Give them what they need, Holy Spirit. Reveal to them truths. Encourage them. Bring people alongside. Thank you again in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.